you don't recover from mental health. It's a day-to-day -day struggle, so it's about mental health management. Someone whispers something in your ear that they need help, we need to listen because it was a mountain of effort for that person to come in and whisper that little something to you. So, yeah, so don't push them down the mountain. Don't push back. It's very difficult to make all those programs available to an industry that's not accountable to anybody except for themselves. Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast, and hello, we're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Ana Aguilera. On this episode, we will be talking to Ace Piva about mental health. Ace is a certified addictions worker who's been involved in the music industry since 1996. Ace Piva knows the ins and outs of the road and its associated pressures and struggles. He's been there as a musician, tour manager, stage manager, sound engineer, production manager, and addictions recovery coach. Today, Piva is a founding partner of Over the Bridge. His goals are to help break the stigmas associated with addiction and mental health illnesses through education, awareness, and support, and provide resources to musicians, crew, and entertainment professionals. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. How are you doing today? Thanks for being here. I'm happy to be able to talk to you today. Yeah, Mental Hill has been on my bucket list of episodes to record for a while, so I'm happy to have you. Yeah, I'm happy to be the one to fulfill that uh, that position for you. So, yeah, uh, mental health, it's, uh, it, it's something that affects everybody in one way or another, whether it, it affects us directly or indirectly, meaning a family member or, or friends who may live with a mental health condition. So, you know, bringing up this topic, I think is very important. And talking about, you know, mental health and having these open conversations really does help break the stigma. Even if we get uh, a, a few listeners who take one or two things away uh, from this, then, you know, it's all worth it in my book. So th thank you very much. Sure. So let's start with why do you get interested probably first in music and then on pivoting to this uh, part of the industry? Growing up, there was always music around my household. My parents were always playing the records from Madonna and Talking Heads uh, to Bob Marley and, uh, you know, Eurythmics and all that stuff. And then I got my first drum kit when I was nine. By the time I was 13, I was playing a couple local shows. By the time I was 19, I was touring across Canada with a few uh, dips into the United States. Uh, and for those who are listening, I'm based out of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. So uh, Canadian here, what's up if you're ca Canadian and listening? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then from that point, when I was about 19, I really started touring pretty consistently as a drummer in various bands across the country. And when I was about 28, 29, guys in my band wanted real jobs, you know, nine to five jobs, families, and I wasn't uh, ready to do that. So since I was the band's manager, tour manager, although I didn't know what that, what a tour manager was or what that title was, or if someone even got paid to do that, 
you know, none of my, none of my friends' bands had that. So I didn't even know that was a thing. And then literally, uh, we have a local magazine in Hamilton called, uh, the view view magazine. And in the back was this cheesy little lad that says, Hey, you want to work in the music industry? Take this class. And I go, heck yeah, I do. Right. And it was, uh, it was a, a class I took for tour management. The people who had put it together was a management company who worked with the Spice Girls and the rock band, the Pixies. So they had an office uh, in London, UK, and then one in Hamilton, Ontario. And uh, so I took this class. I end up at the top of my, my class, and then they put me out on the road with one of their UK artists like weeks after I was done uh, and they flew me down to South by Southwest in, uh, in Texas there. And then we did a show at the Viper room in Los Angeles. And then we did a couple shows in New York and, and uh, Philadelphia as my first tour management gig. And I came back and they're like, how do you like being a tour manager? I got, it was awesome. People, I felt like I was respected. Like normally if I go to tell my, my own band guys what to do, they'd tell me go screw myself. Right. But now, now, now we got people who are paying me to listen to me. And it was pretty cool. So I've been doing that for 13 years. Doing the music career thing is one thing, but of course you have your personal life uh, on, on the side there. And during that time, a couple of things that happened. Uh, my mom lives with depression. Uh, however, at this point she had hit menopause and all the, all the medication that she was taking for her depression for a number of years wasn't affecting her body the way they were. And so she went down into a depression spiral that, that took a, a, a bunch of years to, to find the right medications to, to find, uh, we're looking at natural and medications. We're looking at anything that would help her, uh, until the point where she had to go into electric shock treatments for 12 sessions. I was there for eight. And the last thing you want to see is your mom flopping around in a hospital like a fish. Uh, it, it was it was the most disturbing thing of my life. And from that point on, part of a recovery, you know, th- there are some good days or some bad days. And at that time, I decided to, to slow down my touring a little bit so I could be a little bit more hands-on with, with my mom's recovery. So uh, I you know, I was starting to get into yoga a little bit. So I made her do that with me, you know, trying to get her, get the physical activity going. And then around the same time, I did jump back on the road there. And I was out with a Canadian hip hop artist who was in uh, addictions recovery for a couple of years. And then he had relapsed heavily while on tour. It was the worst tour I I was ever on. Uh, You know, his attitude had flipped from being very cooperative to aggressively fighting not to do things for like hours. And the things that we're asking them to do was like radio interviews that could be done in 10, 15 minutes, but he'd rather sit there and fight for four hours not to do it. Although he was the person who asked to do them in the first place, pre relapse. And then there was a couple other incidents that really made me think of what I want to do in my, in my next step of, of, of life uh in canada unfortunately we don't have the number of bands and artists uh that the u.s has so there's a low level of a low ceiling in the in the canadian music industry unfortunately you know the, there's only so many justin bieber's nickelbacks 
Celine Dion's that are all touring at the same time, right? So there's only so many job positions available. So with that, I was also looking for a way to diversify my skills. So with all that kind of in play, I decided to go back to school for addictions counseling. And I started working at a few different programs, recovery programs around my city in between my tours. As I had a very accommodating aftercare program. Uh, for those who don't know, aftercare program is a program for ongoing recovery support after someone's gone through uh, a rehab program, like uh, inpatient rehab program. So after they get out, you know, it's not like once someone's gone through re rehab, they're quote unquote recovered. Uh, and I personally think the word recovery when it comes to addictions is a really bad word because you don't recover. It's a management thing. It's a day-to-day -day management. And same with mental health. You don't recover from mental health. It's a day-to-day -day struggle. So it's about mental health management. You know, and those are the steps that kind of got me to where, to, to, to where I am. Uh, if, and through the, the recovery programs I was working, I was really seeing how peer-to-peer support really helped. I was working with guys who were just getting out of jail and really didn't want to be there, you know, as part of their probation or whatever. They'd come in the room and, you know, give me the finger, tell me to go F myself because I'm like one of the good guys and they're a jail guy and all this. But within a couple of weeks, you know, they have tears running down their face because they found a group of people who understand, you know, where they're coming from because we're doing groups of you know, anywhere from three to four to 20 people. And when you got 20 guys who just got to jail and they're all sharing these uh, shared struggles, it's, it, it brings up emotions. It feels like they, they have a place where they can be understood. So with that experience, I went ahead. I started up a Facebook peer support group. We named it Over the Bridge based off the Red Hot Chili Pepper song, Under the Bridge, where Anthony Kiedis went to uh, uh, find his drug of choice so we figured that hey if you know my, like i said my family was a big music family so the red hot chili peppers were always played around my house and you know you know i i don't i don't hate the the peppers you know they're a great band that they rock out so i thought i'd do a little you know a little uh tri tribute to them in my own little way and, and name the organization over the bridge uh because that's what we're all trying to do right so uh yeah, and through there, Over the Bridge just started growing. We became a, a nonprofit organization. And then uh, we were able to start reaching out and real, really helping people. So uh, that, that's sort of how I've got to where I am now. So, And then, of course, with the community that we've been able to, to build along with it, it's been amazing. So we have a great community. That is so as mental health is, but a very personal story. So thanks for being so open and sharing. Oh, no problem. Listening to you brings to mind that many times we don't ask for help because we don't even know we need it. Mostly because we have this idea of mental health and addictions being the worst thing ever, meaning you need help once you touch button. So what is mental health? What do you keep an eye for? Like, how do, I don't know, sadness versus depression maybe kind of thing? And Well, let's start. What is mental health? Well, I, th there's three terminologies I think people use interchangeably, which is mental health, mental wealth, and mental illness. 
right? So pe people use those terms like they're very interchangeable, but they're not. They really aren't. You know, of course, we want to to have mental wealth. Sorry, mental illness and, me and mental wealth it, it are just like two points of our mental health. So, when, you know, we could talk about mental health issues, which normally when you use the term mental health issues, it's usually something's going on with our mental health where it's a negative impact, of course. You know, same with mental illness is, an, is a negative word, but I really don't think mental uh, illness is a bad word. Although pe people, you know, it's 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 kind of funny because I've done podcasts and when I put things out on social media, I'll use the term mental illness on purpose, and people are like, "Oh, that that has a negative connotation, you know, a negative meaning." I'm like, "Yeah, mental illness sucks, right? I'm not going to call it mental health because it's not mental illness is a state of our mental health, and it's very important for people to to know that. Uh, you know, we can say, "Hey, how is your mental health doing?" Right, that's that might be more an appropriate question as opposed to, "Hey, uh, how's your mental illness?" Right, because that's assuming that there's something wrong with somebody, and with that comes a lot of stigma behind it. So, uh, you had asked earlier, yeah, you, you were talking about like, you know, pe people don't really like talking about it so much, right? And it's 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 the stigma behind it, you know, and, and what is stigma, you know? Sigmas are those little comments that 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 are said in a derogatory term. It, it's not giving somebody the opportunity who has mental health challenges. Uh, you know, maybe it's a job, maybe it's not inviting someone uh, to go play a sport, to go on a walk, to participate in an activity because you assume that they're not doing well, right? But by inviting people out who may be in, in a depression, in a funk or feeling low or whatever, that's actually uh, helping them o overcome those, those, those mental health challenges. Because uh, a lot of times, you know, when we're feeling depressed, we're feeling isol isolated. We're feeling, feeling like no one cares about us. And then what stigma does, it enforces those feelings. Right. So if you know someone that has mental health issues and you don't know if they're in a mental wealth state or a mental illness state, you know, just ask, hey, I'm, I'm going for a walk. You know, want, want to come out with us today instead of assuming, you know, we, we, people do a lot of assuming. Oh, I know what you're going to do. I know what all of a sudden everyone's uh, mind readers. Right. I thought you knew. Yeah, I, I thought I thought you knew. But. That also goes for people who are struggling. People who, who struggle do a lot of assumptions as well. P people don't want to spend time with me because I'm like this, you know, because I'm feeling it. People don't want to, people don't want to reach out to me. People aren't reaching out to me, so they must hate me. You know, I don't have the support. You know, no one wants to talk about it with me. So I don't know if I can turn to them in my need of, of support. Right. So there's this round robin uh, of stigma that really that 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 really uh, gets to people and shuts them down. So you know, the more we talk about it, it's so important. So when those who are struggling, they know that they can come to you uh, in, in the time of need. And when people come come to us, we're not. It's not our job to give opinions. It's not our job 
to say, this is what I think you should do or give advice or anything. Just shut up and listen, right? And say, you know, it's okay to say, man, but it's okay, you know, like, and, and it's, it's okay to say as a support, say, uh, I don't understand what you're going through because it's what you're going through is a very unique situation. But thank you for for helping me understand your situation, right? And and that's all you need to say. You know, first show that you appreciate that someone is trusting you with such a sensitive matter, right? Because it takes so much guts for someone to speak out, you know. And, and when they do, it is like them climbing the highest mountain just to whisper something in your ear, all that effort, just to make a little peep. And, and we need to appreciate when someone, when someone whispers something in your ear that they need help, we need to listen because it was a mountain of effort for that person to come in and whisper that little something to you. So, yeah. So don't push them down the mountain don't push back so when they do reach out how do we help like listening is one way but i feel like maybe sometimes we we want to actively help or do something that it's maybe what they don't need or what makes them feel bad and then we feel bad they feel bad and we're not actually helping how can we help well you're you're right people really do care so our first reaction is i want to fix it no, I, I want to fix this. I, you know, hey, uh, so your bike broke. Okay, let's go fix it. Let's go fix it. You know, it's an action. But when you're helping someone who's in mental in a mental a mental health crisis, we got to learn and and trust that the best thing to do is really not to do much initially, especially if the emotions are high, right? If if someone's coming to you in a crisis moment, you know, some people appreciate being told to calm down, but some people don't. So one of the key things you do is if you are getting close with someone who is struggling and who has maybe experienced, you know, mental health uh, crises in, in the past, uh, and you've been able to communicate that with each other through your friendship, is saying, hey, if you're ever experiencing this, if if we're out and, and, and you start having a mental health crisis, what can I do for you at that time? You know, sometimes people are like, hey, if we're out, if you could take me to a quiet place, that'd be great. You know, maybe, maybe help me get a drink or, or something like that. But talk about it before it happens, right? So, so if you know someone who, who's living with, with, with a mental illness or mental health challenges, you know, talk to them before the crisis happens, right? And that, that way you, ha you have a plan in place because everyone's different. You know, one size, there's no one size fits all. That's probably one of the most difficult and frustrating parts about helping someone is that there's no one size fits all and that you actually have to ask the person. Uh, of, of what works for them. And depending on if these feelings are new to that person, they may not even know how, how to help. And maybe they've never been asked what can someone do to help. So, you know, just get those conversations. 
And that's okay if someone doesn't know what they need. But through conversations, maybe together, you could try out some plans and say, hey, okay, well, let, let, what if we try this? You know, I get some water. I take it to uh, get, get you into a small space. If I have control, I, ideally, if someone's in a mental health crisis, you don't want to remove the person from the situation, but you want to move the situation from the person. Meaning if there's 10 people in the room and someone's having a, a mental health crisis, you know, remove the people from the room, right? Because that it's, it's, it's what's recommended. I'm not a mental health first aid uh, teacher, so I, I don't know the, the, all the ins and outs, but all I know is like you remove the people from, from the person because by taking them out, you're making them feel like they're the problem. And when the fact they, they are not the problem, you know what I mean? It's, it's often the reactions of the people around. That's the problem. So it brings me to two points that I wanted to, to touch on. The first one is, okay, this is a person we know needs help, but sometimes we don't fully know they need help. And sometimes we don't know them, you know, so there's not a close relationship. So how would we spot or how could we help someone that we don't know needs or we could have an intuition that they need help, but we're not very close. We're not too sure. And then the second one, the second question or point that I wanted to touch on is what you mentioned about um, psychological first aid. A few years ago, I stumbled upon two online courses for psychological uh, first aid. And because I am first aid instructor, I was like, well, I've never been told about psychological first aid. Oh, mental health first aid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I took them and I took them simultaneously because one was offered by John Hopkins and the other one was offered by uh, Universitat de Barcelona. So I wanted to see the cultural differences on how they approach them. Uh, (laughs) But that was a long time ago and I haven't I don't think I've knitted, so I maybe should do a refresher. But anyhow, I wanted to know your take on those kind of, and why aren't they more popular? J- just so I have a full understanding is, uh, you know someone, you're not close with them, you, 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 might, you might be out, and then you start to realize that maybe they may be panicking, have an anxiety attack, or, or, or something like that. And- or for example, maybe something we all can relate to, and our industry, I, I think we can all relate to this. You know, there's the the one or two persons that go every night to the bar and stay up until it closes. And you can totally see that's not a normal thing to do and that there might be maybe more problems than just alcoholism. Maybe they're just not drinking to every night, but that is certainly it. I don't know. I feel like it speaks out that there's something going on, but I don't know them. I just work with them, cross them every now and then at work um, and think that behavior might be speaking for something else. What do I do? Okay. For a situation like that, you know, someone you're, you're recognizing their behavior and that it's, it's a self-destructive behavior, but you don't know them very well, you know, and you don't need to know someone to see if they're okay, right? Uh, just as if if you were walking down the street and you seen someone walk fall off their bike, right? You'd go up to them, and be like, "Hey, you okay?" Right? And 
with, with mental health, if you see someone who's maybe at the bar drinking all the time, you know, uh, because that's their hangout spot and, you know, it's, it's like, I say, Hey man, I've, I've been seeing you around here a, a whole lot. Uh, is everything okay at home? Oh yeah. 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 Are you sure? I've been noticing you've been spending a lot of time at the bar here. And one of the tricky things about recovery, whether it be mental health or substance use, is that the healing can't start until the individual is ready, right? So if someone says, no, 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 like I'm fine, it's tough to make someone go. You know, it's it, unlike falling off the bike, you just call the hospital and they come pick them up. You know, the ambulance comes and picks them up and takes them away because that's an obvious physical uh, hurt. But you can still ask if they're okay. And, and if you see them, you know, daily, you come back, you're like, hey, how are you doing today? Eventually, people will open up to you. Uh, you, you need to build that tr- trust and relationship. But however, if you are someone who doesn't know them, and maybe this is their way of reaching out, of getting noticed, maybe they're going to the same bar or the same place because maybe they don't, maybe they live alone and they don't have any uh, su- support at home. So they're in, in their way by going to this same place over and over. This is their way of, you know, quietly knocking on a door, you know, say, hey, like, obviously you see me here all the time and maybe they'll open up. It's hard hard to say because there's no one size fits all situation. So we need to be diverse. Uh, We need to learn how to be diverse in in how we uh, approach people. And it's not always easy. It does take guts. It takes courage to reach out to people. But uh, that, that's what we need to do. Yeah. It's, it's hard with the quiet ones sometimes. Yeah. But checking, checking in with them. Hey, how are you doing? You got to build a relationship. Especially if you have the opportunity to see someone, you know, that, that patron at, at your bar every, every day. You know, to you, it's a job. To them, that's their social life. It, it's their, it, it, it's the way they express themselves. It's the way they manage their lives. So to you, it's a job. To them, that's their life. So that's 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 the difference between the different sides of of the bar, you know. So, and you know, to you, that's just a customer. To you, you're their friend. So keep that keep that in mind. If you see some, hey, how you doing today? Hey, you know, Charlie at the end of the bar. Hey, you've been here all week. Everything okay at home? You know, anything? Oh, you know, I don't. You know, maybe they maybe they don't they have food at home, uh, and that's why they come. You know, maybe your place of work has food or 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 whatever, or or maybe it's just the social aspect because they're lonely, so and they're there for the friendship. So, what about uh, what are your thoughts on psychological or mental health first aid and and training on some of that? Yeah, I think it's very important, especially those who are work within the community, mental health. Because of the stigma around it, the topic of, of, of mental health and illness, it definitely has an effect on a lot, a lot of people, uh, directly or indirectly, like we are talking about earlier. And if you are, work in the general public, you know, storefront, bars, uh, retail, you know, uh, touring uh, or anything like that. 
I, I think it should be more mandatory, similar to like, you know, uh, physical first aid, right? Because you're dealing with people every day, bartenders, hairdressers, I think should, should definitely take mental health first aid, you know, because those are the positions where people come and they talk to you all day long, you know, especially those bars that, that are open at 10 in the morning. You know, it's not so much a live venue, but it's just a bar where people come and hang out all day because that's the friends, that's the relationships. And they, people open up in those situations more than, more, you know, more than to, to a therapist. It's, it's wild because there's stigma around, well, if I see a therapist, that means I'm admitting that something's wrong and all that. So, and some people just don't trust therapists and, you know, uh, I'm not saying every therapist is, is perfect and we may not always find our match. It's, it's almost like going on, on a Tinder app for dating with, with, with therapists sometimes because you got to try a few out before you find, before you find the right uh, one for you. Uh, but mental health first aid, I think is very important. Uh, I, I, I wish uh, more, more companies would uh, advocate for their employees to get it. You know, you could do it in group training, you know, once a year. It, it does cost, come with an expense, but it's, it's definitely an expense worth it, it, o- o- occurring for, for anybody. So, for a little bit of, of context, I want to add that um, in 2019, so this was pre pandemic, behind the scenes, with it, which is a US based foundation, did a survey among the industry professionals, um, the live entertainment. Uh, they surveyed 3,400 people. Among them, 90% of the respondents had experienced anxiety and 80% depression. So I think that means that we are pretty much all in that boat, whether we are the one experiencing it or in contact with someone that's experiencing it. Are, are you talking about the, the Does Music Make You Sick uh, study from, uh, from the UK? No, this is a US-based study. And I didn't get the name, but it's uh, published by the statistics were published by Behind the Scenes, it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'd love to see that. Yeah, you, you know what? I am not uh, surprised by those facts. And th- th- this is my own anecdotal thought about this. Let, let, let me just clarify that it was 90% of people in the music industry or, or, or entertainment or musicians or entertainers. Entertainment industry. Okay. So this is, the, this, this is my theory on this, is that people often get involved into entertainment, whether it's dance or music or even behind the scenes, first and foremost, because it makes you feel good, right? It's such a rush to be a part of a community and a team. If you're on the tech and crew side, it always feels like an amazing job done. You've been able to put on an event and let you know do- dozens, hundreds, or thousands of people go home happy. And, and, and then as far as a performance, performers, being a creator is such a rush. It, it feels so good. It's, it's self-therapy. So, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, music therapy has become a huge, very popular therapeutic program. And, and 
And the reason why is because music makes you feel good. First and, first and foremost, you know, people wouldn't get involved in music or in the entertainment industry if it didn't feel good because it's, it's an industry of passion. And so with that, I think a lot, this is my own anecdotal thoughts here, is I think people who struggle with mental, mental health issues uh, is attracted to the freedom that, that the entertainment business brings. It's, it's, there is some corporate aspects to it, but as long, but if you're not like the top professionals, you know, you are, you're an independent contractor, you work on your terms, you get the freedom to do what you want when you want. If you want to pick up a gig, you can take it. If you don't, you don't have to take it, you know, and then when, if you do take on a project, it's, it's full on. So it takes out, it's a very focused job. Right. And part of mental, mental health management, you know, being, being come focused and, and focusing your passion on a project uh, is very helpful. So I think people with mental health issues are attracted to the entertainment issue, entertainment industry because of all those freedoms and everything else. However, because we are a very independent gig orientated industry, we, we, don't have the structure that a corporate industry may have, such as, you know, healthcare benefits, you know, th things along those lines. There, there's no like uh, a, a, a mental health support because it's very difficult to make all those programs available to an industry that's not accountable to anybody except for themselves. The entertainment industry is, is, is very tricky as, as far as like how to uh, develop programs for an industry that is more independent than they are uh, like a corporation. You know what I mean? Where a corporation can just buy the insurance for everybody, right? So it's, uh, it, it's, it's tricky, but that's, that's why I think those numbers are, are really high just because it, the industry fosters people with mental health issues because it does allow those freedoms and the creative outlets. There's been some conversations for, for a while now. And uh, then you actually did that of having more um, professional help on tours and in resident shows. I mean, if we have therapists that will take care of our bodies and we have insurance that takes, take care of our bodies. So why can't we have a therapist on payroll for those who have such thing like payroll? <laughs> yeah, well, well, be, because of because of money, and and like the the way the industry is, meaning like uh, when you're on tour, uh, no one just has one job, right? So you know, a merch person, a merch seller who's along with the Tour may also help with the load ins and load outs. You know, the lighting guy, also the lighting guy, uh, sound guy, or light guy may also be the tour manager. You know, and then or and then the tour manager is also the the accountant and the booking. And with therapists, because their life has been spent learning about mental me mental health and you know therapy techniques, is that they don't generally live in the clubs like we do. <laughs> right. So, so to get a therapist to be like, 
hey, do, do you want to run some lines from the stage for me? Right. Because like th therapist sessions, you know, they, they may take an hour or or two hours, depending on the, the, the individual's needs. But then what was that person going to be doing the rest of the time? That's actually not a bad idea because it's also very therapeutic. Like, hey, let's go fix some cable or let's go wire some microphones. Let's go organize, you know, all the yeah the gels yeah uh, <laughs> and let's talk <laughs> yeah but 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 a therapist ain't gonna know a damn thing about any of that <laughs> right i've had an opportunity to talk to therapists and people always want to say why is therapy so expensive you know how much schooling that costs or how much money that schooling costs for them to get that education it is crazy amounts of money so in order for, for them to pay back those loans after 10 years you know they have to they, they have to spend that money like they have to charge that money it's it, it's crazy you know we're the entertainment industry you 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 don't even need to have schooling to, you know i know like i didn't go to school to become a sound guy i volunteered in a club and i bugged my buddy sound guys to teach me everything they could you know what I mean? I went to a tour management school, but generally there there's no school for tour management. That was the first one in in, in the world, as far as we're aware of. And uh, and and there's now a few more popping up, but generally you don't go to school to become a tour manager. So you just hop on the road and go. You know, it's running literally running away with the circus, right? So you you, you learn literally. it by yeah you you learn it by doing it. So, you know, we don't necessarily have that sort of uh, financial overhead nor, or debt behind us like therapists do. So you'd suggest um, that the peer support groups that you're running or and or some of this uh, training for first aid training would be kind of the, the more reasonable things to do within the industry. Well, OK, H hold on. Before we go there, though. Uh, and although we said therapists can't go, sh sh I, I don't think therapists should go on tour uh, unless you have a budget for for that. You know, you're Britney Spears or Madonna or something along those lines. Uh, there are other options out there, especially now with pandemic. The, the pandemic has forced so many therapists to go online. Right. So you, you could find a therapist that works for you. You, you could book them online, you could do video chat, do phone calls, and that way, you know, and therapists who are allowed to do that, the tech programs that allow you to do that, you know, they're, they're all safe and secure. So, you know, you know, your conversations with them are private. And at that point, it's up to you to make some time to sneak away so, so you could ha have your appointment with them. So there are options for, for, for therapy help. And of course, peer support you know over the bridge right now we run uh, we run two peer support groups one is uh, a public face it's not a public it's a private facebook page uh where we have music industry people and people from the entertainment industry tech crew musicians uh, entertainers who su support each other you know uh, and then also we have our zoom calls that we do uh, twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays between two and three p.m. Eastern time. So, and we have a great group of people who 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 chime in, 
And we talk about everything from eating disorders to anxiety, depression, uh, daily struggles. Right now, obviously, uh, COVID and and how we manage uh, our lives during the COVID uh, pandemic is, is a big topic. So we invite anybody who, who wants some understanding and, and some uh, advice from people who, who are in similar situations. We know what we're here for you. How can we find the Over the Bridge uh, Zoom link and Facebook groups and all that? Yeah, if you go to our website, overthebridge.org, there's links to both. That banner on our front page that uh, for our Zoom calls, and if you hit that, it will take you right to the Zoom meetings at any time. So, uh, however, we are there between 2 and 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, and I think that's 11 to 12 pacific standard time there we go so yeah go to there or you can find us on facebook at otb nonprofit and you can find links to everything there great and just for everyone to know uh the theater art life uh platform also has a tab that features uh mental health articles and uh contact to other organizations for those who rather reach out to someone based out of the UK or the US and I think Australia. I also would like to invite to anyone else who's listening from around the world and might have some sort of similar resources in other languages that might make it easy for people that don't feel comfortable speaking in English um, to send it our way so we can share that information as well. Thank you, Ace. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much for, for having me on. Uh, if, if you're listening, thank you very much for spending your time with us. It is much appreciated. And hopefully my blabbering uh, enlightened you in some way. <laughs> We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There's a link in our podcast description where you can send us your podcast requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcasts for free. And if you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast description. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Zare for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast. Thanks for listening.